What's up, everyone? Welcome to my corner of the internet. I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and this is Crossover Commerce, presented by Ping Pong Payments, the leading global payments provider helping sellers keep more of their hard-earned money. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Crossover Commerce. I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and this is my literal corner of the internet where I bring the best and brightest in the Amazon and e-commerce space. That's right. I am now sitting in a corner of my basement. Uh, this is a different setup than I'm used to, or you might be used to seeing. Uh, no fear. This is just a temporary setup uh, just for safety and precautions. Uh, I'm, I'm in my temporary studio setup, so let's just call it what it is today. But if you're joining us for the first time on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or Twitter, thanks for joining us today. It's it's a pleasure to have you listen to every episode. Again, this is episode 217 of Crossover Commerce. So if you're thinking to yourself, 217 episodes, where can I find out more, Ryan? Glad you asked. Go to usa.pingpongx.com forward slash podcast to check out every past episode of all of our great guests. You'll get the transcripts. You'll get all the great content, um, all the key takeaways of Amazon and e-commerce experts like our guest today. And shout out to presenting sponsor Ping Pong Payments, helping sellers keep more of their hard-earned money when it comes to sending or receiving payments. That being said, again, episode 217, if you're new to the podcast, we're, we just love having great Amazon and e-commerce experts in the space. This week is no exception. We're going to have great four guests lined up for you. Um, two today, um, if, you, if you only see uh, one maybe on LinkedIn or pending. There's going to be one later tonight at 7 Eastern. If you want to join us live from the other side of the world in Japan, we have the great Gary Wong of Seven Figure Seller Summit going to be joining us live. But today and right now, if you're listening to us, that is a different, we have a different guest on today. So I'm really excited. As you know, in this podcast, we have so many great experts in the Amazon e-commerce space, anywhere from people who are starting the brands who have really stood out in the a marketing or advertising world, or they uh, talk about global expansion. Well, today we're actually going to be talking uh, with another great company that has emerged in the past couple of years, uh, Boosted Commerce. We're talking with Sarah Deshani of Boosted Commerce. She's the VP of Brand Marketing, and she's going to be talking to us about what we've deemed this title, brand first, brand, being digital first, excuse me, in CPG. What does that mean? What does that mean for you as an Amazon seller? looking to either exit your business or just grow it to a fantastic company. That being said, want to welcome to, again, Crossover Commerce, Sarah Dejani of Boosted Commerce. Sarah, thank you so much for tuning in, I should say tuning in, joining us today on Crossover Commerce. Thanks so much for having me, Ryan. I appreciate it. Yeah. The, so uh, you're, you're uh, pre-show, we were just talking a little bit about where you're located. For everyone who's listening and tuning in, uh, listening live. If you want to say hi to Sarah, everyone just go ahead and put it in the comment section. Uh, let, let us know where you're listening from. But Sarah, just in the quick, uh, give us a quick background of you and uh, who you are and how we are here today. Yeah, sure. So I'm um, VP of brand management for the food and supplements vertical at Boosted Commerce. Um, I'm, I'm living here in the San Fran right outside of San Francisco in Burlingame um, in, the, in the middle of Silicon Valley. Um, where there's a lot of people talking about being digital first, as you can imagine. Um, I, I joined, I, my career kind of went from um, entrepreneurship in the food sector to being a marketer in the CPG space to really wanting to learn all the playbooks about being digital first. And that's what led me to Boosted Commerce. 
That's amazing. So what what would you do real quickly? What were we doing uh, before Boosted? Um, were you were you a VP of brand management for another company in the similar category? What what was what was that background like? Well, I, I kind of have three chapters to my career before Boosted. The first right. chapter was a kind of a classic uh, consulting background where I went and worked for a consulting management company in abroad, actually in Dubai and also in Silicon Valley. And I got to learn really the basics of strategic management. After that, I decided to go after what was my dream um, at the time and, and still really is, which is building a socially conscious business in the food space. So I spent a year working with farmers abroad. I spent time at pastry school and business school, and I ultimately launched a food business in London with a business partner. And I was baking every day and we were manufacturing food and trying to source from those farmers abroad, um, selling at this department store called Harrods. And it was, you know, as all of the entrepreneurs know, blood, sweat and tears. And eventually um, the, the company got to a point where it was commercially successful, but not doing the, the social work that I wanted it to do. And so I came back in, uh, to the US and I realized that I needed to learn more. And that's what put me in the CPG space. So I knew I needed to learn about digital. So I needed to learn about digital marketing. So I went, became a marketer in the CPG space and then um, made my way through a startup CPG uh, worked at a, a brand owned by Procter and Gamble, and then eventually landed at Boosted. That's amazing. I mean, talk about bearing the lead. You were talking about building out uh, your own pastry business, and if my wife were listening right now, she'd be very jealous. Uh, <laughs> and that, I mean, this is something that you're talking about. Uh, are you talking about eco friendly baking, or like what, what, what's the what's the notion of yeah um, the social that business? Part of yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the the social part of it was that we I, I in undergraduate I I have a I have a, an international background in my family and in undergrad I realized that a lot of the people that I have interacted with abroad um, just don't have access to the same opportunities that we have in the states and so I really was looking at sort of public policy and ways that we could help solve that and I it came upon this idea of social entrepreneurship which was about using business to help improve people's income situations and their and their poverty. So the idea of my whole business, this is making a very long story short. No, it's okay. But the idea of my of my business was that, you know, basically if you want to help anybody, you kind of have to humble yourself first and see like, well, they probably know what they need better than I know what they need. So I spent a lot I spent a year with farmers in in Jordan. Um, olive oil farmers, pomegranate farmers. Um, They're making um, something called pomegranate molasses, apple cider vinegar, all of these beautiful products. And they came to me and they, they were like, where are you from? And I said, oh, I'm from the States. And they said, oh, you're from America. They're like, sell our products abroad. They like immediately knew that what, what would help them improve their lives would be a business that brought their raw materials or bought, sorry, their raw materials and then sold them in markets like London. And if you think about, you know, in, in the roll-up space, people talk a lot about arbitrage. If you think about the arbitrage of, of, of a, a British pound sterling, right? Somebody buying something for British pound sterling, what that means in terms of income with the exchange rate for a farmer living in Jordan, it's it's quite significant. Um, and so that was the whole premise of the business. That was, that was what um, we were trying to accomplish. That's amazing. I, I 
congratulations on just even trying to attempt that. I think those are kinds of businesses that are are even more difficult than just you know starting the re- in the restaurant space or I say in the food space because again, the the those kind of passions obviously carry over and it can either be super successful or even encounter even more hurdles than just throwing something in a in a package or like you said, there's no thought behind it. And I I think that's really cool of the brand itself. It's it's speaking to a notion of who you are as a company, what you're really focused on. And I think that's fantastic. So, so you walked away from that, you sold the business. What, what can you cap it? Yeah. So we, we were, we had found quite a bit of commercial success. We were selling in Harrods. We had actually um, as clients, um, the Sultan of Brunei who owned the Dorchester hotel group. So we had quite a bit of commercial success, but we, you know, I, I mentioned in the first part of my career was in management consulting. So I I was building, I had learned how to build financial models in that part of my career. And so I built a financial model and I was like, you know, how big can we get this thing? Because anybody who's done food knows that the margins are thin, right? thin. alone like doing a socially conscious food business. And so I said, well, we need massive volume. And I just found that actually, if we really, really succeeded in the UK, we wouldn't get to the volume that we needed for um, to be able to place the MOQs, the the minimum order quantities from those farmers abroad. Great. I was like, okay, I'm not going to, it was so hard just to like be selling in Harrods in the first place. I was, I was baking 10, 10 hours a day. I mean, it was really, really, really tiring. And so I was like, I'm not going to put all of this effort in so that at the end of the day, I'm not even able to do what I originally wanted, which is support those farmers by purchasing from them directly. So you found yourself doing more like uh, shortcuts, I would say, probably to just meet quantity or to meet your your expectation, your invoices from Harrods. Is that yeah, kind of along was, those lines? It was it was well what I was doing was I was I was I was flat out just trying to fulfill the orders that Harrods was sending our way. Yeah. And and I, yeah, and I basically did not have time to figure out a way to expand the business. That's, wow. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So we moved that you you said I need there there's more opportunity in different countries. Uh you needed to market it more, you needed to kind of develop that idea. Is that something you'd ever come back to or is this something that it's kind of like you did that. That was your dream. You you accomplished what you you set out to do, and now you're moving on. Is there? No, it's I've I've it's still there. I still have to figure it out. And so <laughs> what, I, hey. what I yeah. I was gonna say if you need to test if you need to test market, hey, send it to Indiana over here. Um, well, yeah, yeah we're happy to help. Fun. Yeah, the rescue development is super fun. Well, hey, congratulations. That, that, I mean, that's a great story, and I think it leads into what you're doing now, even so. Even it, I mean, it just makes that seamless transition, I would say. So you learned digital, you learned marketing, obviously, very centric on food um, in, in that regards. And now you're moving over to, uh, you know, boosted commerce, which is, again, digital first in that notion. Uh, tell me tell me about this process. Like, why boosted? Why, why, why was this the next natural fit for you? Well, um, if you don't mind, I'll tell you one quick story about, about sure. the food business that leads to this answer. Please do. Yeah. Yeah. So the so when when we were marketing our products to Harrods, we walked the floor with one of the Harrods shopkeepers. And if anybody is sold in retail, you know that they have a planogram and it's really fixed. Like what the way the store looks is the way it is. And you try to get slotted somewhere. And she told us, you know, you should try to get this was, by the way, when Instagram didn't even have ads yet. Instagram was just people posting pictures. And so there's no like 
there's no digital advertising on Instagram. So she, so she said, you know, if you try to get this one influencer to post about your products, we will redraw the planogram to have your products front and center because she drives so much foot traffic into our store. And I had no idea what she was talking about. And so I realized I needed to learn all of that. That was the first, that was my first taste of digital marketing. Right. Influencer you just shook your head and you're like, sounds great. Like, uh, <laughs> it's like sounds great. somebody on, then, online is going to send all this foot traffic. How does that work? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It just didn't make sense to me. And I even looked at the Instagram profiles. I was like, I don't, I don't really get this. So I realized I needed to learn. So that's what put me in um, the marketing world in CPG. So I, I went to an organic baking company, worked there as a marketer. And then I, I learned all of the basics around Facebook advertising, SEO, um, start, that's where I started managing Amazon businesses as well. And then I moved on to a company called Walker and Company that had just been bought by Procter and Gamble and they were in the personal care and beauty space. And so the, the, another company that got bought at the same time was native deodorants, which I'm sure many right. people have heard of. And so we were part of this class that entered Procter and Gamble, both Walker and Company and Native. And we got to not only learn from everyone's digital marketing tactics that way, but I also got to see the way a brand powerhouse builds and maintains their brands. And so um, the only thing that was bugging me about all of this was that, you know, it, I was working it, it, even at Procter and Gamble. It was a startup company that Procter and Gamble had acquired. Before that was another startup. These are all privately backed, private private investors or venture capital investors had backed the companies. And at the time, the goal was revenue growth, not profitable growth, but revenue growth with the goal of selling at a multiple of revenue. But these businesses, more often than not, were unprofitable. I was an entrepreneur. I had just come from an entrepreneurial experience and I could not understand why you would build a business that was not profitable. It didn't, it, I can, I can of course now looking back, see the answer, but I, at the time I said, this doesn't make sense. And when I build a business, I want it to be a profitable business. And that's when Boosted came along. And one of my friends was working at Boosted and I, he was, he was recruiting and I told him, Hey, what's this company? And he told me, Oh, you know, we acquire profitable CPG businesses and we grow them profitably. And I was like, what, how do you do that? So you guys are profitable from day one. So it's not like this thing where, you know, the budgets don't make sense because everything is, is still not quite getting to profitability. He's like, yeah, no, we, we, we start out profitably and we, we build it profitably. And so I said, well, I wanna be with the people who think like that because I need to learn how to think like that. So that's what brought me here. No, that's amazing. Well, that, that that's a good notion in terms of going. Obviously, that that story and that background into into where we are today. So, your role there at Boosted, um, again, everyone knows there's so many different excellent companies out there. What's different about Boosted from your mind that sets it apart from everyone else in the space? Uh, and I, and I say like there's so many businesses out there, business models similar esque to a a, a rollover and aggregator is that is the term that you can say it, but you guys you guys claim that they're you're different than everyone else. Well, what is there those distinguishing factors for you? Yeah, I mean, I you know I I have to tell you I don't 
I don't look a lot at what our competitors are doing. So I don't know what they're doing, but I do know what I think is special about Boosted for yeah, sure. Yeah, please so, do. Yeah, so what's what I think is special about Boosted is number one is we are um, we're focused. So when I say focus is we, we, we are focused on certain types of companies that we want to buy. We have a profile for what we want to buy. We're, try, we're starting to understand, well, what are the synergies in our portfolio of businesses that would direct our M&A strategy? That's one thing that's really important. If you can imagine the complexity of managing one Amazon business, imagine if you're managing 30 Amazon businesses and they're all, they all have different vendors, right? Right. Like it's a nightmare. <laughs> so there has to be some level of focus and a, and a thesis around the MA strategy. You know, I had no idea what a roll up model is. The roll up is another way of saying aggregator. So <laughs> when I joined Boosted, I was like, oh, CPG of the future. That sounds great. Portfolio can be. Sorry, what was that, right? I was going to say portfolio or anything. There, there's other terms that yes, sound exactly. much more eloquent. Yeah, I mean, I just, I don't even know, you know, I don't know what those terms mean. And so when I joined, um, one of my friends after I joined, like after I signed the contract, he goes, oh, you're in private equity now. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, now you're in private equity. Like you've left product. Now you're, now you're like an investor type. And I told him that's so funny. I know nothing about private equity. Why would they have hired me? <laughs> and so that's my way of, of sort of showing that, um, boosted we do have a we do have brand people right like people who right. people like me who like you know have built businesses think about the customer think about the product and i don't know maybe other aggregators have that i don't know who who they have on their teams but we we spend a lot of time doing interviews with customers trying to figure out their decision the decision trees that they follow to make their purchasing decisions we try to understand not just like the keywords, right, that matter, but why do those keywords matter? Like, what is it that's driving people's behavior? Um, what what is it that um, what is it that in that product that that sparks their interest beyond the fact that it's ranking number one on the first page of search results? Right. So you're doing more. You, you were saying this uh, pre-show. We're not a widget company. I think this is pre-show. You're not a widget company. You're a your brand in the CPG company. And I like to know, and I think a lot of people like that distinction. I personally like the distinction. What what makes a company not a widget company, but a CPG company in your mind, Sarah? The number one thing is thinking about the customer. That's the number one thing. At the end of the day, it's so easy when you're running an Amazon business to never touch the product, right? The vet, you just call the vendor and say, you know, package it. Here's a PO. Please go and package the product. You know, send it in LTL or parcel to FBA. Get you, you see it get, you see it get scanned in, hopefully without delays. And then the money starts to roll in, right? It just starts getting sold and the money starts to roll in. And you can go on that way for years, right? And that's, that's when it starts to feel like a widget because you're not really touching it. You don't really know who's buying it. Amazon does this terrible thing where they distance you from the customer. And so you can't, can't really talk to them. But the way to get out of that is to start to understand who is your community, who's buying from you. Um, if, you're, if you're selling um, a, a product that is, let's say, uh, better for you shampoo, are the people who are buying that pregnant women because they now are, you know, are they're pregnant, they're going to have a kid and they want to make sure nothing toxic goes into their hair. 
if you know that and you know that's the reason you're buying they're buying your shampoo that gives you a ton of information about how you can make it better for them how you can speak to their concerns in your marketing how you can drive retention marketing with them make sure that they stay engaged with your product and interested in it and then you can think about the life cycle after that well then they have a baby do you want to make something for their babies right and then they you have they have that continuity of brand so so that's really the difference is thinking about the customer Right. Well, I think that that's an important distinction too. Of if I'm a person or a brand um, entrepreneur on Amazon or a CPG company or a CP or direct to consumer company or DDC or CPG company, and I want to either if I want to exit my business or sell a business, I think this is a natural thing you want to learn is I want to put my brand in the hands of somebody who understands those capabilities, right? I want to go with somebody who understands the difference is going to be of i know my target audience we can grow we can relate to that and not everyone again we were talking agnostic versus very very specific in terms of category focus and again those can still be broad but it's more focused and hey we don't deal with electronics or fashion like don't go to someone else for that we are really focused in in food um you know consumer care something maybe consumable or put it on top of you eco-friendly whatever you want to categorize yourself under that notion is that what is exciting for someone in your position as brain management of, yes, our BED team is not going to bring in a, a an electronic, what's you might call it, and we have to figure out how to sell that to a consumer. That That's widget-based marketing. That's Now this is just focused marketing in that regard. Yeah, yeah. and they and our, our BD team and our M&A team are incredible. I mean, they, they know our business you know, they like I, sometimes I look at people on their team and I go, oh, I'd like to take them over to my operations team, you know, like it's and you that's rarely, stealing within the company. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, there there are quite a few people actually who I'd be like, you would be great on my team. And that's rare to see somebody who's like in, in finance or as they say, finance, um, you know, to, have, to try to have somebody like that. They got to um, make themselves sound really uh <laughs> Very uppity. I won't say uppity. It's not, it's not <laughs> yeah. very uh, posh, if you will. <laughs> that's, that's the, yeah, that's the show finance. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean to to try to to be to be you know on the on the brand management side and look over at that side and say, oh, you know, I'd love to have them on my team. That speaks a lot to like the fact that we're in this together. We're thinking the same way. We listen to each other. They 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 care about the business after the transaction is is over. You know, that's really cool. So. Um, Upon, I know post we, we've talked about this on the podcast before of that how important it is after acquisition is happening when you get to when you get to sit down with your company with the former owner and your your team and you can say what what were you going through what are those steps that you were looking for what's some insight that we can grow this do you have those natural interactions with with brand owners after acquisition or do you just have to absorb everything you can? From the instance that they're selling off to a boosted or they're you're, you're acquiring them what, what is that conversation like and how do you keep them involved in the process yeah so i mean it starts at the, the from the moment we sign an loi and some, sometimes i get involved before the loi is signed as well just to talk to them and explain to them a bit like who would be taking care of their business um, but from the stage of the LOI, we have our routine diligence calls, and that's where I really get to know the founders. And, and more importantly, also my team that's doing the day-to-day -day management of the business gets to know the founders as well. 
And then once the deal closes, you know, it's like we say, you don't just sort of hand the keys over and walk away. It's it's really um, a transition process. So that that's one of the things that Boosted does incredibly well, which is um, the management of, of basically a 120 day transition process um, that starts 30 days before close and ends 90 days after close. And there's a series of and it's structured differently for each brand. It depends on the complexity. There may be consulting arrangements. There may be just um, a series of meetings that happen every week to, to allow for the smooth transition. But a lot, a lot, lot gets discussed in those meetings. I bet. Is it Has it ever been a notion where you see something where it's, it's not fitting either portfolio or criteria or just voice that you've had to step in and say, this is not, although everything else looks good, this may not fit for us as a company, as a CPG company, do you have those conversations, those tough conversations within your own team? Within our own team, with between the, the brand management team um, or the supply chain team, marketing team, and the M&A team, yeah, we have those conversations all the time. Yeah. All well, the time. I mean, it's, it's, it's something that I think is like a hallmark of, of good thinking is that there's a lot of debate. Right. Well, and I would think that would na naturally have to be a good thing because if you start to accept everyone, again, you start to lose yourself as a kind of going back to your your old business, if you will, of where I see the correlation happening of you might have to not shortchange yourself, but you might have to, um, you know, compromise in certain areas. Like you said, if you want to be a, an eco-friendly company, if Boosted wants to say we're, we're eco-friendly, we want to be like Amazon, we want to be net net carbon neutral or something like that by 2050 or something along those lines. Again, if you start to take on everyone and they're like, well, we can maybe change some of those things down the road, or maybe we can do X, Y, Z. Is that, is that something that either you have to stand up for, or is there a lot of people that are on the same page in that regards? Yeah, this is, this starts speaking to sort of the, the politics within the company, right? Because there's, there are different incentives um, across the different groups The the M and a group has an incentive to acquire businesses, whereas the brand management group has an incentive to grow the businesses and more, more often than not, those two incentives overlap, but sometimes they don't. Sometimes it's like, well, acquiring this business may be good for us getting another deal in, but it may not be good for us because we don't think we can grow it as much as, as would be required by, or dictated by the multiple. Or, you know, we, we like the business, but it has, like, for example, let's say that um, in the, the supplements line, we're saying it's like a, a kid's focused supplements line. And I would say, we, we don't do kids supplements, you know, like if we do that, I need to, I've, my first line goes to general counsel, right? We need to have somebody on the legal side who can really advise us on how we can make sure that we're doing this because it's held to, a, products for children are held to a higher standard than products for adults. Um, and so those types of conversations do happen. I, I, I've, and anybody who's worked with me will tell you that I have no problem speaking up and seeking my opinion um, uh, to a fault, perhaps. And so um, there's that, but then there's also like the whole team has our back, you know? And so you won't have, there may be someone on MA who agrees with me, and then somebody who disagrees, someone on the upside who disagrees with me. And, you know, it'll be, it, there'll be that debate and it'll be vigorous, um, but ultimately we'll, whatever decision we come to, everyone, everyone accepts it and moves on. Right. Know? 
Well, that's fantastic. Well, I mean, uh, that's healthy, I think, within any sort of company of how do you grow that next iteration? I think a lot of roll-up companies or aggregators or whomever you want to uh, dictate the name, a lot of people want to be around for a long time and, and build out those portfolios and, like you said, be the next Procter & Gamble, Gamble or be the next um, you know, consumer-based product-focused brand company that's digital first. So that being said, that, that that's your job from what I'm hearing uh, at, at the company, Sarah, what is a lot of people think, you know, when you, when you say, Hey, building and growing a brand, that is your, that's your job. It's solely on once the acquisition is made by the M&A team and the business development team, you now it's on you and your team to, to kind of make that next, next natural leap and take that vision and really not shotgun it, but really make it blossom. Um, what, what are those, kinds of first building blocks that you you go through with your team is it how do we optimize in digital or how do we optimize on direct to consumer or maybe retail what what are those first things that you look at with the company yeah so we i'll talk to you a little bit about the frameworks that we have there and then um and then i'll i'll mention a few of the 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 pieces of that framework so Within, within my vertical food and supplements, what I do is, you know, I, I mentioned one of the reasons I joined Boosted is because they grow businesses profitably. That means when I heard that, I said, well, that means that they know the playbooks. And I looked at the founders, right, Keith and Charlie, and I go, okay, they have a lot of experience. Surely they know playbooks. So when I joined, I immediately, right, talking to them about what are your playbooks to grow. More people joined the company. I learned their playbooks. I brought my own playbooks. And then essentially I had all of these options, right? Like I had, we had like, you know, 20 to 40 initiatives that we, a menu of 20 to 40 initiatives we could choose from after close to grow the business. And the question is, well, which one do I do first and why? So, um, and that, that's like, it, that's paralysis of choice, right? It's not a good thing to have a lot of options if you don't know what to do. Right. And so, um, and this is actually what kills companies all the time is lack of focus, right? Because you, you try to do it all. And so what I said was, okay, let's look at, um, let's create archetypes. So we went into the verticals and we created what we call brand archetypes. And the archetypes, um, we, we have fancy internal names around what they're branded as, but we get three archetypes um, in, in a vertical. And those archetypes are determined by about nine criteria. So we actually have an index where we rank each brand against nine criteria and it spits out an archetype. And um, that archetype will dictate to you what, how do you, out of those 40 initiatives, which ones do you layer in first and why? Mm. And so, um, once you once you get that archetype, so I acquire a brand very early on, I look at the brand and I know what the archetype is, right? Like I don't need to do the indexing I could, but I know which archetype it's going to fall into. And so I know out of my 40 initiatives, they need to be layered this in this particular way. And then that once you get to that stage, we what we say is we focus on the inputs, not the output, right? So the output is net margin growth, for example, velocity growth, whatever you want to call it. But the inputs are what are going to get you there. And the inputs, number one, I'll, I'll just uh, I'll just list three of the of the of the six inputs that we look at. You look at your supply chain first, no product, no sales, account health, right? With Amazon, account health is like this whole thing. 
right? Oh, yeah. Um, and then, um, then there are a few other things, and then we have promotions at the top, promotional activity, PPC, social media ads, email marketing, Amazon Live, all of that stuff. And so, and there are a few other things in there as well. But so those are the inputs. And so all the initiatives get flooded, categorized into those inputs, into those, uh, all of the initiatives get categorized into those input categories. And then we, we go ahead and execute against it. Is that spend? What are you putting? I, I just want to be clear on if you're, is it a yes, no statement or is it a, is it a volume statement of this is how much like sales are coming in from like, like you said, through cost per, uh, for CPC or anything or a CPC seat. PPC, I'm going to get the acronym right, uh, or something like that. You're saying you're putting inputs. What, what is that that you were putting in? Is it data? Is it oh, sales? Just, what, what is it you're inputting? Well, it's philosophically, like a lot of teams, for example, will, if they're focused, it's just, that's meant to be more of a philosophical anchoring point. So okay. if, if, you have, if you have a team, let's say you've got a team of brand managers and they look at, and you tell them, you need to grow revenue. I want to see revenue grow 20% year over year they may do a lot of things to grow revenue 20 percent year over year only so that the next year it'll fall by 40 percent right they just might do a lot of low quality hacky tactics to get revenue up 20 percent year right. over year you're talking so, about for example like a launch uh technique if it was giveaways or something like that whether it be ranking tactics we've seen in the past it could be 80 percent conversion or 100 percent conversion but again even if that dips a little bit, Amazon naturally just torpedoes you down in yeah. that regard. So just a, just one example for I'm assuming that you're talking about. Exactly. Yeah, that would be one example. And so if you if so, then rather than having them focus on the outputs, we tell them focus on the inputs. So the inputs are is your so would be an input, for example, would be um, ad spend. That would be an input, right? Like you need to look at the ad spend, is it optimized correctly? And therefore, are you getting the an, a quality output? So it's not just, if, if you look, if we can take PPC as an example, are you, do you have a great ACOS because you're spending only on branded keywords? Well, that's not a great input. You've got an output where your ACOS looks good, but the input is not good. The, the, you're spending on branded keywords. You need to be spending also on non-branded and you need to have uh, you know, a, 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 a strategy around whether you want to win the category or where you want to win, win the long tail keywords or what is it exactly. Um, and so there, all of that get, becomes sort of a focus on the inputs of how are you going to go about doing that. And for the, that's where we get into the initiatives where we say, okay, well, we've done this 800 times. Here's what we think is the right way to do it. Yeah. That makes sense. Is that, do you find yourself finding that a lot of the businesses you guys are acquiring are pretty optimized for Amazon or is it is it that next step that that retail or different marketplace aspect that you really that that's where you initially have to start because hey Amazon's pretty good like we're there's not too much to optimize or tweak in that regards maybe a few things but um what is it that you're seeing most often with all the brands that Boost it's, is acquiring it's it's that's an amazing question because that's exactly what the archetypes are all about is okay. it's about looking at the business and figuring out where do you take it from here? And there, in in some businesses, yeah, you look at the you look at the um, the Amazon business. There are some businesses where I just go, oh, you guys have been out of stock too often, <laughs> right? Like if I can just keep you in stock, I can grow the business twenty percent year over year. There's some there's some businesses we've acquired like a, there are other businesses. You look at the Amazon, you got it's like 
I can't do much more with this business. We have to build out our Shopify site, you know, and hope that, that, that off Amazon traffic will help. Well, that, yeah, that I'm assuming because of the natural on the M&A side, it's a little bit different because that's where the value comes from, but they also have to probably talk with you in regards of where is that true growth potential? If it's not on Amazon and there's not quote a lift that you can make on the Amazon, your numbers become instantly more difficult because you don't have the optimization as much on Amazon. Now you have to go through uh, a different channel, whether it be a different marketplace or a different um, country or even a uh, direct-to-consumer channel, like you said, build out their Shopify store or their, or their uh, WooCommerce or whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. So interesting that that you have to take those notions and go there. How often does like retail come into conversation, whether it's like, hey, this brand are, has a conversation or already is in a store, mm-hmm. um, has a relationship with like a Walmart or a Home Depot or something along those lines. Um, does that happen often or are you surprised it doesn't happen have to opt as often as you might think or you guys are having that kind like that's one of the easiest areas for you to optimize and grow under well we we definitely have those conversations um foxy bay like i mentioned our one of our most recent acquisitions is is um, or just launched in target and so we we have those conversations all the time and um it that one, I that one for me, I always think of supply chain when I think of that, right? Because I'm thinking about I'm I'm never really concerned that we can sell into a retailer. That's not that's not really my concern or maintain that relationship once we have it. I'm more concerned about making sure that the back end when we're when we are fulfilling all of these products and and accepting POs that come in on pallets, right? What are we able to are we able to actually um, manage this? efficiently across our entire supply chain system. That's what, that's what I think more about, but yeah, for sure. I mean, the more wholesalers you have, the more retail partners you have, the, the more, um, the more complexity you get from that fulfillment and logistics standpoint. Absolutely. Well, it's just, uh, as we say on this channel all the time is you have to think about commerce as a whole and where it's happening and e-commerce in all of retail, it's of all 100% retail. E-commerce is maybe 15%, maybe 16 or 17% on on Q4, and that 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 means that there's 80 plus percent that where commerce is happening, it's in retail and it's on short uh, store shelves and you know in retail stores of some com- some area. So when people look at it that regards, obviously e-commerce is huge in our industry, but when you look at it in just all of commerce, there's so much opportunity in terms of retail, not a bad thing, but that that's where I think a lot of people go from digital, obviously first, and then they move into the retail second. So is that something that I, I guess like for, if you're in 2022 and Sarah, you and your team had like your plan of, okay, well, we have our established brands. You said Foxy Bay, which again, I think that was the most recent one that you announced as ac- acquired for the company of your 20 to 30 plus brands that you guys are operating what's the outlook for 2022 is there a is there a set of goals or overarching statement goals that you and your team are trying to accomplish this year and what are those oh yeah oh yeah i mean we're big on goals at boosted so we we have we definitely have um, a set of goals and we have them at different levels we have them at the executive level at you know at my org level the brand management level um, and we have them even 
uh, further down within our different functional areas as well. Um, and so I, I think uh, there's there is a big piece certainly about um, bringing more of our brands to retail. That is that is part of our goal for 2022. Um, there's, you know, I can't get into too much detail about all of the things that we're doing, but there's a lot of stuff also that really exciting stuff we're doing with data, right? Like we're swimming in data um, at Boosted. And so there's a, there are a lot of interesting things that we're doing that are going to be not only useful to us, but also useful to FBA sellers, right? Um, and, and people that we've acquired businesses from. That's interesting. Uh, is there any tease of what 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 are you, for example, utilizing the data? Is that to be smarter in terms of uh, advertising, or is that just like where shopper behavior is? Is that is that what you're talking about there? Um, it, it's it's really all of the above. It's okay. really all of the above. So, um, and it even gets into um, it even gets into things about you know um, if if an FBA seller really wants to understand um, how they can acquire customers. Um, at more um, favorable, you know, costs, cost per acquisition, CPAs, we can even support them there. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that we are doing that really are, um, I think, going to be exciting once they get announced later in the year. Oh, man, what a tease. Yeah. And I'm assuming you're pulling from your, your background, too, in that regards of, you were talking about influencers. I think there's a lot of conversation around off of Amazon to on Amazon. And how do you build on these multiple verticals is there something that you feel that you haven't got a grasp on yet you were saying like hey i had to learn digital marketing for cpg is there something that you're still learning and excited to learn about in the space right now as 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 time continues to evolve when you're at boosted oh there are so many things there are so so many things i mean one of the things for me that i still I'm watching closely and I'm still fascinated by is just TikTok and the opportunity to monetize there. Sure. And, you know, and I, I think that is an area that's really fascinating. I, you know, I still come from my mindset is still, you know, I grew up shopping at Walmart, right? Like, so I, I, my mindset is still very much, and I grew up without the internet as well. So mindset, my mindset is like, oh, you know, brands make money because they win the shelves in in walmart so you, you can go to a walmart or a target like procter and gamble owns tide right tide detergent if you go into a target you notice like the detergent aisle is just tied there's a small section for method or all or, or any other but it is it's all red and so for me growing up i was like oh tide is the brand right like you buy it when it's on sale and then you stock up but it's the brand it's the premium brand all of that I had one source of information and that was the same, right? With you remember TV, cable, all of that. It was, that was the same. It was one source. It was Peter Jennings. He was telling us what the news was, but now there's all this stuff telling you information, <laughs> all this stuff telling you information. And so Procter and Gamble is starting to lose its hold on the customer because the customer isn't just hearing about brands through, you know, TV advertising and shelf space. They're hearing about brands through Amazon, through Instagram, through TikTok, through the D2C websites, through Facebook ads, although those have gotten really expensive, you know, through all of these other channels. And so you start to look at like, well, start to think really like the, the pie is getting chopped up. Yeah, quite a bit. Quite a bit. And so you, you start to say like, well, 
who can survive with all of these little slivers? You know? Because at some that, point... It, I was going to say, does that make your job that much more difficult in that capacity? Yeah, it... it well, it makes it difficult because taking market share, it, well, but it makes it difficult, but it also makes me feel like we have the advantage because when you, because, okay, let's just talk about Amazon, right? Like, let's say it's a product that customers, if they want to buy it, they're not going go to go to Target, Walmart, a specialty store, and like a few other stores to try to look for it. They're just going to go to Amazon, type in the term and buy it. That, that type of a brand, I know that I can steal market share just by conquesting keywords, right? I know that I can consolidate that way and we'd be bigger than if I was in 5,000 Target stores. Mm -hmm. I'd be bigger because the Target stores are in these areas where I get one slot on the bottom of the shelf. Maybe I get half a turn a week. Yeah. And I all of a sudden don't, you know, after a while, the buyers will go, well, no one's really buying it. I'm like, well, yeah, I know because no one can find me. The visibility, yeah, where it's placed, everything yeah, like that. exactly. And so in that, with those types of brands, no, I feel really confident. But yeah, when it comes to like, you know, a food or a supplement brand where I'm up against like a company owned by Unilever, yeah, it's tough. It's really what, tough. What is, the, what is your philosophy on brand and search terms? Um in the capacity of do you prefer someone searching for that brand on Amazon or do you prefer the win, the battle of natural or like uh, organic XYZ, like organic laundry detergent or something along those lines, branded being searching for like a Foxy, um, like a, the brand you acquired or, Hey, I want to have that specific keyword that ties to our, our company. Which one do you prefer? I prefer the, um, the non-branded for sure. Okay. I prefer the non-branded. I mean, the I, but I have I have a very specific background, like history in this, where when I was running Amazon businesses previously, and I would work with ad agencies, we measured them against ACOS, and they were they would often improve their ACOS numbers by spending against our branded keywords, and I and I really didn't like that because I was like, well, I think I would win that anyway, right? Like if someone's searching for my brand, I don't want to spend on that unless a competitor is attacking us, but for the most part, they weren't. And so, you know, I was like, I don't want to spend on that. If they're searching for my brand, let them search for my brand. I've won them. I would rather grow profitably again with, with non-branded keywords. Um, so that's, that's my background. And so it gives me a bias to prefer those non-branded keywords. No, that makes complete sense to me. I, so you're a person who doesn't spend on their, their unbranded name on a PPC on Google. You don't have uh, ads well, at the top. <laughs> we, we, well, luckily, I'm not the one who makes all of the decisions on this. So we we are we do spend on branded for sure. But right. um, but yeah, I mean, with me, I'm that certainly my eyes don't look at the the results on branded keywords. Oh man, I always feel bad when I search for a brand, and I always try to not click on the ad because I know exactly why they're bidding yeah. on themselves. Yeah. <laughs> Socially yeah. conscious uh, marketer <laughs> over here. <laughs> it's like I'm gonna stick. Conscious. I'm going to save them a nickel here. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. exactly. Well, Sarah, I appreciate your time. Uh, I obviously I would, I would talk more today, but you, you guys are so busy. Tell me about um, what you're excited about in 20. We kind of alluded to goals, but if people like for first and foremost, what do you want to, what's your personal like accomplishment that you want to achieve here 
in 2022 with boosted like what what, what is that ultimate personal goal for you that you want yeah, to see it's, happen? it's very clear for me i have i have two or three brands that are on the cusp of 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 blossoming into what i think can become household name brands and i want to i want to start to see that flower bloom this year so i want to start launching our rebrands launching our d2c sites launching our like new portfolio of products and just start to say, oh my God. And I love ta having talking to the founders when this happens, like, look at what you started with, look at what you created and look at what it's become. That's what I'm really excited about this year. That's really cool. And you guys are pretty prevalent. You guys are forthright in which brands you acquire. I think that's really cool of, hey, this is not a secret. Like we're not going to not tell people that we now have partnered or acquired and this is the brand we're growing. So that's really neat in that regards. If they want to learn more information or just connect with you, what, what are those best ways to do that, either with Boosted or yourself, Sarah? Yeah, so with Boosted, you can always go to boostedcommerce.com, um, and we have a lot of ways there to interact with the company. Um, another option for me, you can always email me at sarah, S-A-R-A-H, at boostedcommerce.com as well. Gotcha. I'm I'm just clicking buttons here. I don't even know what I'm doing over here. So if you see, <laughs> no one freak out. It's just me clicking buttons here in the background. No, that's amazing. I I I think that's so cool to see kind of the back end of a post acquisition. Obviously, what what people's mentality is, and and to have that perspective on what you guys are doing. How many is it public knowledge? How many brands do you guys operate? Is that something that you guys are for? Yeah, we yeah we have over thirty five. Over thirty five. Is, is there a, is there a goal in mind for you guys this year of of you would like to see <laughs> Bl yeah, blink twice yeah. when I get to the number. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, that's okay. As many as you can handle, I would say like, right. That That's the, yeah. is that, is that, I guess my final question for you, is that something that you're, you're fearful of, of acquiring too many brands that you don't give enough attention to or enough love and support? Is that, um, is ever fearful? I, I, Yes, yes, but we are super aware of that. So okay. like, I don't think we're going to do that. Okay, that's yeah. good. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> side note of I don't think that's going to be a problem, but I know that's that's obviously uh, what comes first, the chicken or the egg. Do you hire support yeah. or do you hire brands? So yeah. very cool. Sarah, thank you so much for hopping on Crossover Commerce today. I was in the show saying that you can make it through an episode with me. You're not a friend of the show because you've lasted in my corner of the internet now for an hour. I would say it's like, it's not a fight, but it's a great conversation as always. So you're more welcome to hop on any time in the future. Thank you so much for joining us today in Crossover Commerce. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate no it. No problem. Thank you everyone for hopping on again, our live session of Crossover Commerce. This is episode 217 of Crossover Commerce, my show where I bring you the best and brightest in the Amazon and e-commerce space. If it looks, again, I'm going to allude to it. We're, we're a minimalist background today. Uh, hopefully we'll add to it here in the next couple episodes, but we have more episodes coming tonight. Just kind of quick, a preview. If you're joining us live on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or Twitter, check out tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern. We're going to be talking with Gary Wong, top takeaways from seven figure sellers in 2022. Of course, Gary is a friend of the show, so we love having him come back on and talk about seven figure seller summit. That is coming up in a few weeks. So without further ado, I'm Ryan Kramer. This is Crossover Commerce. We'll catch you guys next time on another episode. Take care.